0: Thank you, brother, especially for that last song. We'll see how applicable it is here in just a moment. Welcome. Our text is going to be from Mark 14, verses 53 through 65. Mark 14, 53 through 65. It's going to be on the screen behind me as well. This is what it says. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and the scribes came together, and Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore bore false witness against him, but their testimony did, did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that's made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him, to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. This is the word of God. You can be seated. While you're being seated, will you also bow with me? Father, thank you very much for the fact that we even have your word. There are still many people groups, many tongues on this earth that don't have the word yet, or even those that do have it. Many can't read it, and many that even could read it. Some don't even have anyone to present it to them or come alongside them and help them learn it at all. However, we have all of those things. So, Father, we recognize that we are sitting in such a blessed place place right now. We are so grateful. And Lord, I pray, of course, that you would please help us not to take advantage of that. Lord, help us not to take it for granted. Lord, I pray that you would please, through your spirit, apply these eternal truths to our hearts this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let me welcome you all again to worship with us at Christ Fellowship this morning. So thankful that you're here. I've titled the message this morning, Jesus, the Faithful Witness. Jesus, the Faithful Witness. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, toward the beginning of his letter, the Apostle John, he he sets up his introduction to the book, and he says this. He says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus, the faithful witness. Jesus, the faithful witness, he says. It's interesting, I believe, that of all the descriptions, of all the um, depictions John could have chosen, of all, of all the portraits he could have chosen to present Jesus in, he chose those two words, Jesus, the faithful witness when it when it comes to a witness someone who's seen something and is willing to testify about it that's what it means in the court of law if someone's going to come as a witness he or she is saying I've I've seen this and now I'm willing under oath to present to you exactly what I saw what I heard And be a a faithful witness. That's what it means in a a court setting. And it's interesting because a court setting is where we find ourselves uh, this morning with Jesus. Last week, however, we remember how all of this started to get underway. Last week we saw the betrayal of Jesus and the arrest of Jesus. Which brings us here now before a group of Jewish men called the Sanhedrin. Before we get to that, though, we see that Jesus is is led to them. We see someone else is there with him, tagging behind. Uh, Verses 53 and 54 are sort of like a a foreshadowing for uh, next week. Verses 53 and 54 are are setting us up for next week's message, because what we find there, Jesus, he's led led indoors to where the, the high priest is, the chief priest, the elders, the scribes. Peter, we see... He's falling at a distance. He's, he's outdoors, warming himself at a fire while Jesus is under the, the cold stare of, of all these men, the cold gaze. And um, this cold gaze consists of 71 men, actually. That's what a Jewish Sanhedrin was made up of, 71 different men. These would be, of course, very important men that made up the Sanhedrin. A Sanhedrin was something like um, a modern day Supreme Court for the Jews, and the book that they judged by was the Old Testament law to see whether someone was guilty or, or innocent and what crime or what uh, punishment rather should, should come upon them for breaking the law. Did they even break the law? That's what all this is about. So, verses 53 and 54 really set us up for next week. So, let's keep going then to verse 55. Three things. Three things we learn from verse 55. Look at this. Chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. So the first thing we learn is it tells us what they wanted. What did they want? They wanted testimony against Jesus. That's what they were looking for. Why they wanted it? We're also told in that verse: to put him to death. That was their motive and then what they got. We also learned that. They found none. They got nothing. We learned what they wanted, why they wanted it, and what they got. They didn't get anything. Why didn't they get anything? Well, verses 56 through 59 tell us why they didn't get anything. Look at them. For many bore false witness against him. Testimony didn't agree. Some stood up. Bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say this. We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with hands and and build it up again in three days, A, a temple not made with hands. Of course, that's a reference to John. Jesus did say something similar to that. He did say, Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up again. And they said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. And John gave us some heavenly commentary there. He said the temple he was referring to, however, was the temple of his body. I wonder, while all this was going on, if Psalm 27 was in Jesus' mind. Psalm 27:12 says, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathed out violence. Surely it was. Surely this was in his mind. Surely he was saying, just like my father said, it's happening. Of course it's happening. It's supposed to happen. It was foreordained to happen before the foundation of the world. And now it's perfectly landing. It's perfectly falling how my father said it would. I think he thought about this verse. These enemies of Christ. I call them the religious wicked. That's what I call them. The religious wicked. They appeared to be very righteous outwardly, but they were wicked inwardly. Uh, To them, Jesus appeared to be wicked. The wicked one. Though he's truly the righteous one. And they're fulfilling exactly what Jesus said. Jesus says, "Woe to those who call good evil and evil good." They were the embodiment of that, weren't they? I mean, look what they're doing, even In verses 56 through 59, "Mark, makes sure to tell us twice. two times. I, I can as I was studying this, it, it just jumped out at me. Twice those who took the stand, quote, "bore." false witness. Did you pick up on that? The fact that it's repeated really makes it jump out. Mark makes sure to even use that phrase, they bore false witness. And how can you read that and not think about the ninth commandment, right? You shall not what? Bear false witness. That's exactly what these men are doing. They're being false. Why? This is a, why? This is a Religious court. This is a court of Jewish men. But not just Jewish men, religious Jewish men. The elite among the religious Jewish men who would have had large portions of the Old Testament memorized. Why, why did people think they could come in and bear false witness, and that was okay. No one bears false witness unknowingly. Okay, I'll grant you this. It is possible to think something's true and say it, and then later learn out and later learn that, oh, whoops, I was wrong about that. But that's not what the ninth commandment is referring to. Accidental lies. No, no, no. Intentional ones. One sign of the religious wicked is that they'll elevate one truth over another. It's very true. They will elevate one truth over another. Example, Matthew 23, 23. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy and faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What's he mean? All right. Back in that day, just like people, some people do in our day, you could have little pots with plants, maybe on your windowsill or maybe beside your house, and you planted things that you could then just walk out and break off and throw right into your soup, like mint and dill and cumin and things like that. Just little plants that grew for the purpose of just spicing up a dish that you could then eat right then. A lot of people did that. They, he says, would tithe from that. The little plants that grew on their windowsill, tithe from that, he says. You, you, you tithe from herbs. You give a tenth of what grew out that month. While totally neglecting things like Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Do you see the hypocrisy? People that are so focused on these little, little trivial things and say, that's so important, and neglect the huge, really important matters. It's usually the areas that can be outwardly noticed, like they can be um, outwardly weighed. People that have these tendencies These religious wicked, they will measure on outward things, how they dress, how they don't dress, how they talk, how they don't talk, where they go, where they don't go, what they do, what they don't do, those things that everyone can see. We call this, usually, this falls under the guise of what we call legalism, right? People that are very focused on outward appearance. So that people can look at me and say, oh gosh, he's, he's holy. Look how holy he is. I mean, look. That's important to them. But the areas that are more of an inward matter, like how much you love, how merciful you are, how faithful you are, they, they, they minor on those. Why? Well, because it's, it's hard to tell. Just by looking at someone at first glance, how loving they are, how merciful they are, how faithful they are. Now, as you watch his or her life for a few hours or a few days, even those things will become evident, very evident. Wow, look how loving he is. Wow, look how merciful he is. Wow, look how faithful he is. Because I'm, I'm observing a life here. But just at first glance, no, I can't really see that about you. I can't see how loving or faithful or merciful you are just at first glance. Those things weren't important to the religious elite, and they usually aren't. That's why it's possible for some people in that day to watch Jesus Christ perform a miracle in which he released someone from this bondage that they were under for years and years and years because of some physical ailment. It's possible for these people to watch a woman with a back crooked like a question mark all of a sudden straighten up and walk. It's possible for them to watch a man that's got this withered hand all of a sudden become whole and the muscles and veins and everything looks just like the other arm. And it's never looked like that before. He's never even used it before. and All of a sudden, it's working and functioning like normal. And they can look at that and say... Why did you do it on a Sabbath, you loser? <sighs> because they elevated one truth over another. And the religious wicked will do that. Shame on you, Jesus. Shame on you. You did it on a Sabbath day. You worker. You worked on a Sabbath. That's just- It's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. It's just, I don't know. Another thing about the religious wicked is they justify sinning in order to accomplish what they believe to be a righteous goal. They justify sinning in order to accomplish what they believe to be a righteous goal. Now, that's not confined to just the religious wicked, is it? That, that goes all the way across to even just the wicked wicked, <laughs> just, just the plain all wicked people, right? We see people doing this a lot, justifying some sinful behavior to accomplish what you believe to be a righteous goal. Let's just be honest. It's not even confined to the wicked, <laughs> is it? Sometimes we will justify a sinful behavior behavior, or action to accomplish what we believe to be a good goal. You know, from the beginning, mankind has justified wicked acts. From the, from, from the very beginning. How far back? Well, like Adam and Eve. Eve reasoned away her act of disobedience. Why? Because she, quote, saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a pleasure to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired To make one wise. She said, yes. I know the Lord said not to do that. However, I've got three good reasons here why I believe partaking of this fruit might be a good thing. Therefore, I'm going to put those three things in the scale against that one thing. See? They outweigh. And of course, as you know, she took and ate. These false witnesses did what false witnesses do. They bore false witness (laughs) because they believed it to be justified because this Jesus guy was so bad they thought it's okay to lie in order to put him away. Anytime you find yourself justifying sinful behavior know that you've joined the camp of men like this, okay? Church, I'm trying to tell you right now, because I care about you, don't act like these men. There's a voice of temptation in your ear too often that tries to get you to justify wicked acts. Maybe not to condemn someone or put someone away, but maybe to do something just as, as trivial as just, in, just enjoy a, a temporal pleasure, and it is a slippery slope. A slippery slope that will lead you to more and more and more wicked acts. Because wicked acts never exist alone. They're almost always coupled with others. Because you have to then cover it up. And keep covering it up and keep covering it up. Or come clean. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So church, if that's you today, know this. There's forgiveness in Christ. The Lord Jesus has taken the punishment for that sin. And you don't have to carry that guilt or shame. Christ is taking your guilt and shame. Isn't that good news? I like watching the show Cops. You've heard of it, you've probably seen it, you're probably even singing bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do right now, right? I like that show, Benjamin likes that show, we sit and watch it, we like, I like like watching the bad guys get tackled and taken down and arrested, I just do. Just that sense of justice in me, I guess. At the beginning of that show, there's a disclaimer. All suspects are innocent. Until proven guilty in a court of law. Remember that? The guy with the deep voice at the beginning. Well, that was not the case with Jesus in this court of law. For this counsel, Jesus was guilty until proven innocent. But they were going to make sure that that did not happen. He was not going to leave that room Innocent. Didn't Jesus even say, if they called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Didn't Jesus also say, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. They already hated him. They already hated him. They already believed he was of the devil. They already believed that he was a wicked Sabbath breaker. He was a sinner. And they were going to make sure he got what they believe should be coming to him. So in verse, verses 66, I mean uh, 60 through 61 rather, the high priest himself, he now stands up and he now steps up and he's had enough of all this, all these witnesses getting them nowhere. So he says, hey, you want something done? You gotta do it yourself. He stands up and he knows how to cut right to the heart of things. So look at verses 60 and 61. The high priest stood up in the midst And asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? I want you to take note first that Jesus wasn't saying anything the entire time. He was hearing all this false testimony against him. That's that's hard to do, first of all. It's hard to hear someone lying and lying and lying about you, what you've done, what you've said, your character, and to just sit there quietly. We know full well Jesus could have looked at any of those false witnesses and said, Excuse me, what about you? Remember last week what you said and did with this and that? Remember a few months ago what you said and did? Let's not forget about this. What about you? Because remember, Jesus has already done something sort of like this with the woman at the well. They're speaking. Jesus said, you've spoken rightly, for you've had four husbands, and the the man that you're with now is not really your husband. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus knew every detail, every sentence, every thought about all these people. He could have done the same thing. Because if you recall... The the woman at the well, after she believed, her, her phrase that she kept saying to everyone in town was, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. So we know Jesus could have looked any of them in the eyes and said, what you're saying is actually false. Let's talk about the truth. Let's talk about X, Y, and Z about your life. Let's talk about X, Y, and Z, what you did last night even, what you thought was secret. Let's talk about this. He could have shamed them all to the dust. And he didn't. He didn't need to take up for himself. The only approval Jesus needs is the one his father had already given him. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. He knew that if he's making the Father happy, it doesn't matter who he makes unhappy. And that's true for you as well. Make God happy, and it doesn't matter who else you make unhappy. Please the Father, and it doesn't matter who else you displease. Amen? Because you'll answer to God, not to anyone else. And you'll be alone on that day when you answer to God. Your father or your mother won't be there with you. Your friends and your supposed friends won't be there with you. No one will. You and the Father. The good news for those of us who are in Christ is we'll be standing there in a righteousness, not of our own. That day for us is not a day of terror. Surely a day where there is going to be some right, appropriate fear of God. But not fear of condemnation. Why? Behold, there's no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. <laughs> That's good news. Jesus was also fulfilling Scripture by not opening his mouth. Isaiah 53:7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That's our Lord. He doesn't need to open his mouth. And it was prophesied that he wouldn't. There's a lot of times, there's many times during Jesus' ministry that he asked people not to reveal who he was. Remember that? The time for that in those days had had not yet come. The time, though now, is now. Now the time had come for the faithful witness to tell exactly who he was with his own mouth, with his own lips. He was going to testify with his very own mouth. Others had done this. Others had been faithful in their witness about him. Nathaniel, remember, Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Also, Mary, the sister of Martha, that Mary, she said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God who is coming into the world. And then, of course, Peter. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So other people had already faithfully attested to who Jesus was. Now, now, Jesus does it himself with his own lips and in a moment where he can get in all kinds of trouble for it. (laughs) Jesus will say these words for himself with such authority and with such conviction that it overwhelms the high priest. But let's first read what Jesus says. The question, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? That phrase, the blessed, is short for the blessed one, the Father, God. We don't learn this from Mark, but we learn this from Matthew uh, Matthew 26:63 tells us that Jesus was, was under oath at this point in the court. And under oath, Jesus testifies. Not that it mattered. Jesus is going to say the truth, right? Anyway, because he is the truth. And Jesus says this in verse 62, I am, meaning I am the Son of the Blessed One, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. You and I, not being as familiar with the Old Testament as the men Jesus was speaking to, we we need to realize what, what Jesus actually said here, what what he was actually doing. So Jesus marries two texts together. Okay, there's two texts that Jesus sort of weds together. I even made a slide so that you won't so that you'll have it in your mind. So he he weds these two texts together. Is it up there? There we have it. There we go. Daniel 7, 13 and 14, and Psalm 110, 1. He brings these two scriptures together with this one phrase. Why is that important? Well, Daniel's, Daniel has this like apocalyptic vision in Daniel 7, and he speaks about one like a, a son of man coming in judgment, and he's given glory and dominion and a kingdom. And then in Psalm 110 we get the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool so we get this exalted ruling lord sitting at the right hand of yahweh and if you're unfamiliar the the right hand in jewish culture right hand in just the bible <laughs> represents a very honored high exalted place. Whoever's sitting at your right hand, that shows, wow, he really likes this guy. He wants to honor him or her. Solomon, for example, when he was king, his mother, Bathsheba, would sit at his right hand. Just to show, this is how much I love my mommy. He was a mommy's boy. Jesus couples both of those texts into one phrase. He marries them together when he says this. And Jesus is claiming himself to be the fulfillment of both of those things. It's a really big deal when he says this. This, this phrase that Jesus says is coming out of the mouth of, to them, just some man who by this point would have had dirty clothes being arrested there in the garden, would have probably had messed up hair. This, this, this man with dirty clothes and messed up hair is saying, I am equal with God. I'm the fulfillment of the Daniel prophecy, and I'm the fulfillment of Psalm 110. At the same time, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. First of all, he would have known exactly what he was doing. And he would have known exactly the punch, the weight that that would have had in all the ears of those Jewish men. Danny Akin says this. He, he says, a true witness will tell the truth, no matter the consequences. A true witness will tell the truth no matter the consequences. What about you? Are you going to be like your example, Jesus Christ? You know, the word Christian means Christ follower. As a Christ follower, it means, hey, we we go where Jesus goes, we do what Jesus does, we we walk like Jesus walks, we talk like Jesus talks. We're followers of Jesus Christ. Are you going to be like your Lord and, and speak the truth no matter what? Will you stand up for the truth of Scripture? even when you know it might lead to a negative reaction? Will you be a faithful witness? Let me ask you this. Well, let me just encourage you with this. God will help you. Pray for God's help and pray for God's peace to do this. Why do I use help and peace? I say help and peace because it's usually because of being cowardly or being fearful that we don't speak the truth when there might be negative consequences of being cowardly or being fearful. And so pray and ask God to help you have boldness to overcome your cowardice and pray for God to give you peace to overcome your fear. He'll answer you. He'll help you. He will. He's helped me many times to do those same things. Am I saying... And therefore, now, every time I have the opportunity, I just hit grand slams every single time. No. But compared to five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, yes, I can see growth all along the way. Why? Because God's helped me. Ask for help to overcome your cowardice with boldness and ask for help to overcome your fear with peace. And he'll help you. He will. He will. Take it from someone who's received the help. Well, at this point, you know the high priest was fully convinced and uh, worshipped Jesus at his feet, right? He, He said, I believe you. Let's all bow down and worship Jesus. No, no. He wasn't full of worship at this point. He was full of wrath. Look at verses 63 and 64, and the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need You've heard his blasphemy. What's your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Remember, it says that the high priest stood up in their midst. These Sanhedrins were usually kind of like horseshoe shaped, semicircle. And the person who's being condemned is right in the middle, so all eyes are just gazing at you. It says he stood up in the midst, so he actually gets up in front of everyone. Here's what Jesus says, and tears his garments. Two things. Number one, for a Jewish person to rip his garment meant that he was either in great um, sadness or in great anger. One of the two. You'll see both instances in the scriptures. This extreme action showed just how infuriated, just how disturbed, just how perplexed, just how indignant this high priest was. He was so horribly angered by the words that just came out of Jesus' mouth. And this action of tearing the clothes was um, extremely significant for a second reason. You must remember what kind of clothes this man was wearing because of who this man was. This man was the high priest. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's like a good chunk of the book of Exodus that's all about how the high priest's garment is to be made, what it's to be made of, or it's supposed to look like, how he's supposed to wear it, all these things. The other men in the Sanhedrin would have looked at the high priest and even been like, wow, I hope one day I get to that position because only he gets to wear that garment. I mean, status, big status, just from wearing these clothes. And this high priest must have seen what Jesus was doing, and what Jesus said. Something on the level like when Moses broke the Ten Commandments after he came down from the mountain. See, Moses was so enraged by the sin that he saw when he came down from the mountain. He could not believe, we're going up here to receive the law of God, this God who just delivered us from all this wickedness and evil and idolatry by these ten plagues. I'm up here for 40 days, just 40 days, and I come down and you guys are acting like this? at the foot of the mountain of the holy God, and he was so zealous for the truth, he broke those tablets into pieces that the Lord God had just inscribed with his own finger. I remember reading that as a new Christian and being like, oh, wow, I'm surprised God didn't just kill him, because <laughs> that seems like a, a big no-no. And I'm a new Christian, and I just, it just seems to me you shouldn't break the holy Ten Commandments. That's how enraged Moses was. And I think the high priest saw this as like a breaking Ten Commandments level event. Because you don't just put your hands on the holy priestly garments and just rip them apart. This would have sent shockwaves through the council to witness this. I'm telling you, they would have gasped. Which is what? the high priest wanted. He wanted to show them we're done with this trial. He's guilty. He's a blasphemer. This is how strongly I am for my stance on this. Look what I'm willing to do, rip. That's why we see in our final verse 65, some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, prophesy, if you're wondering what it means, cover his face. What do they mean, cover his face? I don't don't get it. Like blindfold him. They blindfolded him and said, prophesy. Who's gonna hit you next? Punch, punch, and hit him to mock him, to make fun of him. Oh, if you're a prophet and you can see the future, which one of us is gonna punch you in the face next? And Jesus remained a faithful witness despite all these consequences. Do you think he didn't know what was coming? Of course he knew. He knew for years. He was going to the cross. He knew this was the path to the cross and this was all such a huge miscarriage of justice. But it was fulfilling God's perfect plan. Perfect plan for the the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus. They were all doing what the good hand of God had foreordained to happen. All these wicked men were acting wickedly, as wickedly as they wanted to, and they were all fulfilling God's foreordained plan. Yes, this was a miscarriage of justice to be sure, but it was not a miscarriage of God's plan. Amen? That's true in God's plan for our lives as well. No man can thwart them. No man can mess them up. God's will will always be fulfilled. When I quoted Revelation in the intro, I was quoting from chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. But I didn't finish verse 5. I stopped in the middle. Let me finish it now. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Let me end with this. That's why Jesus was undeterred by this mistrial and by these beatings. He had a mission to accomplish. He was going to fulfill the Father's will, which included laying down his life for his sheep. Freeing us from our sin is what John said at the introduction of this last book of the Bible, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. This path was leading Jesus to the cross where he would shed his blood and die and rise again from the dead. And that's the only way anyone is ever forgiven of his sins or her sins Repentance of your sin and faith and trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross where he took the punishment that you deserve. And that's how you're saved and that's how you get his righteousness onto your account. Because your punishment was transferred to his account. That's why Jesus was the faithful witness that day. He's faithful in his wrongful arrest so that we can be set free from our wrongdoing. Isn't that good news? Amen. I know you're thankful for that, as I am. And let's pray and thank God now. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness to the truth, despite the circumstances. We thank you that he was faithful to fulfill your perfect will, Lord, because he had your approval. He needed no other approval. And we look to him, Lord, for our salvation. We look to him also for our example. So, Father, I pray that you would please help us as his followers to also be like him, to be faithful witnesses to the truth, despite what man may do to us, and to find our fulfillment in knowing that if we please you, it doesn't matter who we displease. We pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen.